this morning, uh, which is a little different from the other three we have covered so far uh, this month. We covered the Red Sea, uh, we spoke about the spies going into the land of milk and honey, and we spoke about the haircut uh, last week. Okay, I related really well to that. Samson, uh, one of my personal favorites in the Bible. Um, so we learned about these three different things, and we were looking at it from a different uh, perspective. All of these stories were very, very powerful. But we've said all the way through this series, and we try and do this, whenever there's a a familiar story being spoken about, we always ask you, please, just to pretend like you never knew the story, like you've never heard it before. Because it's very easy when you hear the topic is about Samson, you say, oh, well, I know that story. It's very easy to switch off. Okay, I know from a, like from a, a sporting perspective, uh, I'm a different from uh, from some other people. I have friends who can quite easily know the result of a sporting event and still sit down and watch it if they haven't seen it. Okay, mentioning no names, Pastor Phil. Okay, he's able to actually do that. Now that doesn't work too well for me. I prefer instead, if I know the result of something, I'm not even going to bother watching it. So he and I have had some sev- several discussions, and I have to give him regular reminders, uh, don't talk to me about the soccer results until after the weekend, okay? Because he can talk all about it and say what the results were, then go home and enjoy the game. Where, meanwhile, I've, I've allocated an hour and a half to sit down and watch a good game of proper football, and, uh, and, and, and then I don't get to do it, okay? Because I know the score. All right, so I don't like to basically do things when I know how it ends. I say all of that to say, if there's a Bible story that you know and that we're speaking about, don't think, oh, well, I can switch off the TV now. Okay, I can check out because I know how this goes. We should always be looking to try and find something new every time we hear the word. It's the living word. It changes. Now, the actual black and white print doesn't, but how it impacts our lives does because our lives are changing and developing and growing all the time. So what doesn't apply to you one, in one season of your life will apply to you in another. So I urge you, every time you hear a story that you've heard before, don't switch off. Try and find something new from it. And Pastor Philip's done an awesome job, as he always does, in presenting these stories in a, a refreshing way, in a way that maybe hasn't been looked at before. But we've been looking at these stories, powerful stories. You know, Moses' part in the Red Sea. We've looked at the, um, the, the spies going into the land of milk and honey and seeing giants in there that make these people feel like grasshoppers. We've heard about Samson killing a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. So these are all powerful, uh, dramatic stories, things that they could make blockbuster movies out of. And obviously there are some Bible stories where that's the very case already. Okay, so uh, these are blockbuster movies. And it really does hit home just how powerful God is. Why? Well, because Samson killing all of those things wasn't because of Samson. It was because of God. Moses' part in the Red Sea was not Moses'. It was God through Moses. 
So these people are all being used by God, by an incredible God, by a powerful God. I was reading through the Psalms uh, yesterday. And for those of you who don't know, I do a, like a daily um, devotional thing on Facebook. And I'm not promoting that for my sake. I'm going to talk to you briefly about this. And it all ties up, I promise you. But who here has got a pet peeve? I want to see every hand. Because everybody's got a pet peeve of one thing. Now one of my pet peeves, I'll be open and transparent with you, is sometimes social media. How, how social media is being used, I should say. Not social media per se. But I have a pet peeve where people tend to like, put out the dirty, dirty laundry onto Facebook, okay? And to the extent where sometimes I've taken a break from Facebook. I've stepped back for a few months because it just kind of fries my brain a little bit. And Molly will tell you, I've had some conversations with her, and it marvels me and baffles me sometimes why people would put out all of their dirty laundry onto Facebook. But that's their choice, and that's entirely up to them. But obviously, once it's out there, it's kind of out there. So I made a decision uh, a few weeks ago that instead of complaining about the dirty laundry and the stinky laundry being out there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some nice, fresh-smelling, clean clothes and hang it next to it. Okay, so that's kind of my approach to it. So I do like a little daily devotion thing and um, put it on Facebook each morning. And I mention that because the one that I actually came across last night in Psalms, which I posted this morning, is Psalm 111, verse 2. And it's not on the slide, so don't freak out at the back. Uh, I dropped this one on you last minute. Um, So it's, how amazing are the deeds of the Lord? All who delight in him should ponder them. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord? All who delight in him should ponder them. What does it mean? Well, you know, I thought this fits in with this series brilliantly. Because we're talking about the deeds of the Lord. We're not talking about the deeds of Moses or the deeds of Samson. Okay, we're talking about the deeds of the Lord. And we should ponder on them. What does ponder mean? It means think about at length. It means dwell on. It means just to, just to just marinate in them. Think about them and have those things affect you. And I don't believe that any of us, including me, do that enough. I don't think we ponder on the deeds of the Lord enough. Now, we all have our own routines. I have a routine. I, I read the Bible every single day. But, you know, even that can become going through the motions if we're not careful. If I'm going to say I'm going to sit down at X time with a cup of coffee and read the Bible for X length of time, that can become a routine and you can mentally just subconsciously check out, spend your 30 minutes with the Bible open, but not actually have anything happen. Agreed? Or is that just me? Now, what about, I've made a commitment based on this verse, that what I'm going to do now is for at least five minutes during my Bible time is actually not have the Bible open. I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to think. And I'm going to ponder on what God has done. Because if you start writing down a list of all the things that God has done in your life, okay, you won't stop writing. Because God is continually doing deeds in your life. Okay? So this story that I'm going to run through with you this morning is not as dramatic as the last three. This is not something which they would necessarily make a blockbuster movie out of. They could make a film out of it, but this would be one of those things that they probably put on the early hours, early hours of the morning on some forgotten channel. I mean, it would be one of those kind of things. All right? It would go straight to DVD. That's one of these things. Okay? But that's not because it's not powerful. It's because it's not necessarily dramatic. But we can draw something from this, I believe, which is going to be really impactful on our lives. Okay? Today's title uh, is The Prayer. And what we're going to look at is the story of a lady... And a prayer. Okay, a lady that was struggling with her circumstances, with her outlook on life, with a poor self-image. Now, this lady, she had desires in her life that had not yet been fulfilled. And there were certainly some positive things about her life. Some of the things in her life were going well. 
But you might say that she was overcome continually by a sense of, there must be more to life than this. Now don't raise your hand, but I would imagine that there's a few of you here that have felt that at some point in time in your life. I know I have. What is this all about? Alright, so it may well be ringing bells for you. You may be in that season right now. You may be in a situation right now where your circumstances are such that you are ready for them to change. It's been too long now. With the thing that's whatever's going on in your life, with it still going on. And you are ready. You may be burdened. You may be heavy laden right now. With something that's going on in your life that you've been waiting for to go. And I want this story to give you hope. I want this story to let you know that we serve an incredibly faithful God. We serve a God that genuinely wants the best for you. And that is able with the power of prayer. So this story, as I said, is going to give you hope. It's going to show you that we do serve a faithful God. And it's going to show you the importance of prayer in your life. The importance of prayer in your life. And how powerful a difference that can make. So let's turn uh, to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. All right, I'm jumping into the scripture straight off the bat. And here we go, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Phanina. Phanina had children, but Hannah had no children. So this guy, Elkanah. He has two wives. And the reason he has two wives is touched upon in this verse, at the end of verse 2. Hannah has no children. And Hannah has no children because she is not able to have children. Okay, so she is what in those times they called barren. She is not able to bear child. And because of that, it was customary, though not sanctioned by God, let me stress, Man's custom in a situation like that was if a man married a lady and she was not able to have babies, then he could marry another woman. Okay? Now, he did that alongside the first woman. He did not you know, get rid of the first woman. He basically kept the first wife and then married a second wife. And that was the situation for El- Elkanah right here. Okay? The emphasis of a marriage relationship in those days was quite simply this. You got married and you had children. It was about the bearing of children. And particularly, it was about having baby boys. Because that kept the bloodline alive. And that's effectively what the emphasis on marriage was at that time. So if a woman was unable to have children and to do that, it said the man would then marry another woman to actually fulfill that particular role. Okay, verse 3. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering... He would give portions to Phanana, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. So they would go up, and they would go to, up to the temple, if you like. They would go up there once a year, and they would offering, uh, put an offering uh, to the Lord. And they would offer up a burnt offering, and then with some of the meat, they would actually have a, a worshipping meal, an offering meat, offering meal. And what would happen was that Alcanar, as the head of his household, he would be responsible for sharing out the portions of meat to his family. So he would give out of these uh, one portion per person. But when it came to Hannah, he gave her two portions. Now why did he do that? He gave a double portion because he wanted to give her the same amount of meat as she would have taken had she had a son. If she'd have had a, it was a display of him, from him, 
to her of his compassion for her situation. The understanding that he had, that he would, she wanted to bear him a son, but she was unable to do so. So he loved her, besides the fact that she could not bear him a son. So she gave him a double offering, which was, as I said, just a reflection of his compassion for her. He didn't want her to feel bad about it. He didn't want to feel feeling bad and guilty and like a failure. But the fact is, Hannah did feel bad about it. She was really heavily burdened by the fact that she couldn't give her husband a baby boy. And it was made worse by the fact that as a constant reminder, she watched the other wife, Phenina, with her children. They were both both married to this man, so they, they were obviously in close quarters and close contact. So every day, she was a witness to the fact that this guy had to marry another woman to have children. So she was surrounded by it. Now, we can look at this and say, well, Fanina is productive. This lady, the second wife, she is fulfilling her purpose. She is achieving what she is supposed to achieve in her life. And it makes Hannah feel inadequate when she compares herself to this other woman. Now, I'd ask you this. How many of us are guilty of comparing ourselves to other people and feeling inadequate? Feeling that we're not doing as well as the other person. We're looking at somebody else and we're saying, well, they're better than I am. They're more intelligent than I am. They're more talented than I am. They're better looking than I am. Whatever it might be, we are comparing ourselves to this other person. Now, when we compare ourselves to somebody else, what's amazing is how we see their strengths before their weaknesses. And yet we see our weaknesses before our strengths. We see their strengths first. We don't see their weaknesses. And yet when we look at ourselves, we don't see our strengths. We see our flaws. We see where it is that we're failing. So here's a thought for you. If you see everyone else's strong points and compare them to your weak points, you will never feel adequate. As long as you take your weakest link and compare it to somebody's strongest link, there'll always be a gap. You will never feel adequate. I'm here to tell you today this. God created each and every one of us to be unique. What does unique mean? It means different from everybody else. We each have strengths that we are supposed to have. We are all gifted in different ways. And we have to look at ourselves as individuals that God created and be proud of who we are. Not in an arrogant way, but in the knowledge that we are literally one of a kind. Everything about me, God made My strong points and my not-so-strong points. I was created with purpose and precision. Now, I have flaws because I'm supposed to have them. God didn't make any mistakes with me. I turned out exactly as I was supposed to. And so did you. So did you. Our problem is that we get in the way of our true selves being on display. We are shaped... And moulded by society, by culture, by the people that were around us. And mostly, most powerfully, by our own self-image. Our own opinion of who we are and who we should be. Let me tell you who you should be. Who God made you to be. That's who. That's who you are supposed to be. God didn't create you to be perfect. He created you to be human. In fact, he created you deliberately with imperfections. Because we're all on a journey to become perfect, to become Christ-like. Amen? Amen. If he created us all perfect, we've got nowhere to go up. So he created you deliberately with things in your life to work on. 
So wait, am I saying to you that your imperfections are God-given? Yes, I absolutely am. That's exactly what I'm Now, some of your personality flaws are your fault. Okay? They're not all God's. But there are things about you, there are things which you feel unable to do, that you are unable to do because God doesn't want you to do those things. Okay? God created you, everything about you, your good points, your bad points, your strengths and your weaknesses. Okay? So some things that you consider to be your imperfections are from God. Let me show you this verse again. Verse 5. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Who closed her womb? The Lord. This thing that she was carrying, this burden that she was carrying, this imperfection that she thought she had, this thing that she was comparing to Phanina's strengths and determining and considering herself to be a broken vessel was given to her by God. God closed her womb. Now we don't know why. We're not told why. And we're not told why and why should we be told why? Why, why should we be told? Why should Hannah have been told why? You know, as a human race and as human beings, we have a very high degree of expectation and the way that God should act and treat us. As if somehow we have the right to know everything about everything. That God should give us what we want in our lives, but he should also explain to us exactly what he's doing with our lives. We, we don't have that right. We get angry with God when things don't work out the way that we want them to. 99 times out of 100, when things don't work out the way that we want them to, it's our fault. It's not God's fault, it's based on decisions and choices that we've made. We get frustrated at God when our plans don't become reality. We believe that as a good God, he should let us do what we want the way that we want to do it. And I'm not talking about him allowing us to do things which are wrong, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, we think that we should have the right to choose the path for our lives. And that God should help us to do that, because he's a good God. And we get frustrated when that doesn't happen. And it's in our our nature. We get frustrated when that doesn't happen. Let me tell you the best way to not get frustrated with God about the way that your life is not going to plan. Try living according to his plan. Try living again to, to his will and not to your own. If your desire becomes to search out his will for your life and then live that will out, you will never be discontent or disappointed. If you allow his desires for your life to become your desires for your life, you're never going to be frustrated. Because by definition, if you're saying God's will, your will be done, and then you're living for that, and you are following his guidance, and you are in his will, you're never going to be frustrated about the will and the direction that you're taking. Because you've already committed to that. Amen? Now, is that easy? Absolutely not. It's not easy at all. It's because of our very nature. Okay? And because, again, of the culture and society that we live in. We're told continually. You are told continually. You deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to be happy. God's never said that you deserve to be happy. God wants you to be at peace. But God wants you more than anything else to be obedient and living in his will. That's what he wants. Now, through that comes happiness. But you cannot make a decision which is completely against God's teaching and then wonder why things are not going too well for you. I'm just speaking the truth to you. Biblical truth. You cannot just make decisions of your own free volition and expect God to bless everything and and just, just make these choices and say, well, God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be obedient. 
And God wants you to be walking in his will and serving his purpose is what he wants you to do. I'm not saying he's going to ask you to sacrifice every single thing in life that gives you pleasure. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if your motivation is to choose what you want to do outside of God's will, okay, then that's not going to work out too well. Now don't get me wrong, as I said, it's not wrong for you, and it's not bad for you to have desires and ambitions and aspirations and wants. There's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with you even planning for your future. In fact, we're advised to do so and instructed to do so again in the Bible. You know, be a good steward. And to be a good steward of your time, you have to plan. To be a good steward of your life, you have to plan. But those plans should be subject to God's change. You should be prepared to have those plans and those aspirations and those ambitions overridden by what it is that God wants you to do. We all have desires as to the way things that we want them to turn out, but we have to give God the final call on it. Okay? And let me tell you, even Jesus went through this. Jesus went through this. Let's look at uh, Matthew 26, verse 37. And he, Jesus, took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is Jesus Christ. And he is broken, sorrowful, deeply distressed, upset, fearful. You name a negative emotion, that man is feeling it right now. He's feeling it right now. So what does he do? He does the same as we all do. He doesn't want to go through it. He knows what's coming. He's about to be arrested, beaten to within inches of his life, go through the, just the torture of it, be hung on the cross, and to die a slow and painful death. And he knows all that's coming. Now put your hand up if you knew that all was coming. You'd be happy about it. He was not. So he didn't want it to happen in his flesh. So he prayed and he said, God, if there's any way that you can take that cup and pass it to somebody else, please... I don't want to go through that, God. This is Jesus. I don't want to go through that. But, if it's your will, then let's do it. If it's your will, then I want your will to be done, Father, not mine. So even Jesus went through the very same emotions. Jesus, man, knew it and said it was coming, but he didn't want, he didn't want it to happen. But he was not going to not follow God's will. Now if we pray the same way in our lives, we'll come to accept that what happens in our life, we will accept it a lot easier. Because we know that whatever happens, it's God's will. And that should supersede our own. Now let's get back to Hannah. She's feeling distressed, she's feeling upset, and things are about to get worse for her. Verse 6. And her rival also provoked her severely, to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. So as a double blow, not only is Hannah beating herself up because she can't have children, but Fenina is wading in as well. Okay? She is in direct competition with Hannah, two wives, one husband, and seemed to take pleasure in crushing her spirit. Okay? At best, you could say that she was being tactless. At worst, you can say she was being vicious. She is highlighting Hannah's shortcomings, for want of a better phrase, just by the existence of her as the second wife she is doing that. 
But then that's not enough for Nina. She had to stick the boot in. Okay? She may have been productive. We've already said this. But Nina was productive. She was fulfilling a role. She was fulfilling her purpose that society was expecting of her to do. She was bearing children. And she was good at it. She did it more than once. She was good. She was productive. But she was spiritually wrong. She was in a bad place. She was doing, but she was not in relationship with the Lord. And she was putting another person down. She was crushing the spirit of Hannah. She was showing no compassion. It could have been dealt with differently. There's no, there's no getting away from the fact that she married, uh, she married Elkanah because Hannah was not bearing children. That's a fact. But they could have gotten along. She could have been compassionate towards her. Agree? If we're in a situation where we know that somebody is hurting, we don't have to rub it in. We can make, her, make them feel better or as good about the situation as we can. But there are some people who are out to cause mayhem. There are some people who are out to basically crush other people's spirits, to push people and press people down. You may have someone like that in your life right now. You may have somebody in your life who is chipping away at you, who is making you feel bad about who it is that you are, what it is that you've done, or maybe something that you haven't done. You may have somebody who is oppressing you, who is making you feel like you have very little worth. We've all had them in our lives at some point or another. You may be going through that right now. Somebody who is deflecting their own flaws by pointing out yours. Someone who is making themselves look better by making you look worse. Maybe you have that happening and going on in your life. Let me give you some advice. Don't let it matter. Don't let that matter. Now, not being affected by other people's opinions is, again, incredibly hard. No one likes to hear bad things about them or hear of bad things being said about them. But I want you to remember this. Look at this thought. If someone is speaking badly about you, it says more about their flaws than yours. If somebody's putting you down, they've got a bigger issue than you have. If you are, if they are being a phenomenon and pressing down on you as the Hannah, then the issue is not with you. The issue is absolutely with them. Now, if you allow yourself to be affected by other people's opinions about you, get this. It's going to distract you and it's going to hold you back. If you allow somebody else to crush your spirit, if you allow, I'm not saying, I'm not being dismissive, I'm not saying it's easy not to allow that to happen, but I'm telling you, if you allow somebody else to crush your spirit, to make you feel bad, it's going to hold you back. It will, if you allow it, stop you from achieving what it is that God wants you to be achieving. And I'm not talking about a major event. I'm not talking about a major purpose that you may be being distracted from. I'm talking about your day-to-day. I'm talking about the small things. If your mood is affected by someone else's actions, then you in turn will treat people differently. If I'm miserable, I can't spread happiness. If I'm angry, I can't spread peace. If I'm discouraged, it lessens my ability to encourage somebody else. Now again, as with all things that we go through, we have to give it to God. We have to hand it over to God and ask Him for His strength to get through what's happening. To get through what's happening. Let's look at the three stories that we spoke about. The Red Sea, about the spies, and about the haircut. We've spoken again about Samson going out and killing a thousand Philistines. We're talking about him having his hair cut, having his eyes gouged out and being put at the, at the grinder, at the grindstone, at the mill. We're talking about Moses who parts the Red Sea. 
But this is the same Moses part in the Red Sea, who right at the very beginning, when he's speaking to the burning bush, bush, God is speaking to him through the burning bush, and he's saying, Moses, I want you to do this. Moses, I want you to take the children of Israel, and I want you to make them free. I want you to bring them into freedom. And Moses argues with him. I mean, you've got a burning bush, you've got God, and you know it's God, because God's got the burning bush, the bush is not burning away, Moses Moses told, take your sandals off, this is holy ground, sacred ground, and he's speaking to him, and five times in one conversation, Moses argues with God. He's arguing five times, not just once, he doesn't just say, well I don't think I'm the right man for the job, yes you are, okay, that's not how it went, he said I'm not the right, right man for the job, five times, to the point where it made God angry, to the point where it made God angry, why did he tell him that he wasn't the right man for the job because of his own self-worth because of his own fear because of his own self-image Samson was going through challenges in his life but every situation that went on these people why am I saying I'm talking about these people I'm talking about these people because these people are like us they're like me and they're like you we have a purpose in our life that God wants us to fulfil but we're arguing with him we're saying to him, I'm not the right man for the job, God. I can't be the right man for the job because this person over here has told me that I can't do such and such. Or that I'm not very good at what's his name. I'm not, I can't do this and I can't do that. So I'm the wrong person for the job. I can't be upbeat to carry out your will because I'm depressed because of this person and the way that they're treating me. Can you see? If Moses had been allowed to follow through, he'd have turned away from the burning bushes. Who knows what would have happened to the children of Israel? You have to understand, these people turned to God, and it was God's strength that performed all these miraculous events. It wasn't them, it wasn't Moses, it was God through Moses. It wasn't Samson, it was God through Samson. It wasn't David, it was God through David. Give me a name from the Bible, it was not them, it was God through them. And you are going to stop the same thing from happening to you if you allow somebody else's opinions to dictate what you do or you don't do. Amen? Now, the people that are pressing you down, what do you do about it? What do you do about it? I'll tell you what you do about it. You pray for them. You pray for them. Luke 6, 27, 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Now again, this is not easy at all. But there's an old saying that goes, two wrongs don't make a right. Our temptation sometimes is to retaliate. Sometimes it's even to come in with a preemptive strike. Take them down before they take me down. Sometimes it's tempting to spread bad stuff about somebody else before they do it to you. Or at the same time. And it's, you just go and blow for blow with them. You're just trying to make them feel worse than they're making you feel. Okay? But that's not God's way. That's not the right thing to do in God's eyes. The right thing to do in God's eyes is this. You love them and you pray for them. You pray for them. Because that's God, God's will for us. And as we're discovering, it's God's will that we want for our lives. Amen? Okay, so Hannah's carrying a very real burden. She's heartbroken. Verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord. And wept in anguish. 
So as I said earlier, our disappointments, they have a major effect on those people that are around us. If we're carrying a burden, it affects the people that are close to us. Her husband, Elkanah, is upset. He's upset for her. He doesn't want her to feel this way. He doesn't want her to be distressed. And as her husband, I don't want Molly to be upset or distressed about anything. I want to take her pain away if she's upset about something. Breaks my heart that she goes through anything like that. So Elkanah is in the same position. He goes to her and he says to her, selfishly, am I not better to you than ten sons? How often can we do that? We can make it about us when it should be about somebody else. He goes to his wife. He should be consoling her with pure intention. But he says to her, am I not better for you than ten sons? I know you've not got any boys, but you're married to me. Surely that's enough. Okay? The fact is, in that moment in time, for Hannah, her husband is not better than ten sons. That's the truth. Hannah wants a baby boy more than anything. She wants to have a son. It doesn't matter to her what anybody else thinks of her situation. The same way as with you. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about your situation. And importantly, it doesn't matter what you think about somebody else's situation. If you're looking at somebody and thinking they're reacting wrong, they're doing something they shouldn't be acting that way, well, you know what? They're going to act that way because they are them. They are not you. We have conversations in our house. Not arguments, conversations. And then during those conversations, I will be, they'll start off because Molly will do something that I would never do in a thousand years. Or I've done something that she would never do in a thousand years. Just simple, silly little thing like, can you hear the bus coming? Like making scrambled eggs and putting eggshells in the sink. And then forgetting to take them out of the sink. Okay? So I come up to actually clean something, and there's eggshells in the sink. Now, that's something that I don't understand. I genuinely don't understand. But that's not what I would do. But it doesn't mean that I'm right and she's wrong. That's a silly example. But that's how we go through our lives. Very often times we can go through, and we only see things our way. We see things from our perspective. Elkanah is looking at her and saying, well, you know what? I know you're upset, but you shouldn't be, because you're married to me. But the, her burden... The point I'm making is this, her burden is very real to her. The same as the burden that you're carrying right now is very real to you. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. You have to come to terms with it and you have to do what it is that you need to do with it. And what is it that you need to do with it? You need to do what Hannah did. And what did Hannah do? She went to God. She took it to God. Verse 7 told us that year by year she went up to the house of the Lord So this is a burden that she's been carrying for a long time. For years, she has been distracted by this. She's been weighed down by this. She's been asking God why. She's been doing all of those things. All the things that that we would do. Now this is the first time that we're told that she prayed about it. That's coming up. But the likelihood is, it's not the first time that she prayed. This is the first time we hear of it. But it's not likely to be the first time she prayed. Why? Because we know that she's a godly woman. She knows that she, she wants the very best in her relationship with the Lord. So it's likely that she's prayed before, particularly because her situation is so desperate. But she goes to the Lord with a prayer. And this time, the prayer is different. 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, 
and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So Hannah makes a pledge to God in her prayer. She makes a pledge to God. Now notice this, she did not make an offer of a trade. Okay, A trade and a pledge are two different things. Okay, We can sometimes be guilty of praying a prayer that goes something along these lines. If you do this for me, God, I promise I will go to church every Sunday for the next six months. How many have prayed a prayer like that? Don't raise your hands, but I know it's most people here. Okay, I know I've done the same kind of thing. We're trying to make a trade. Or we'll say, you know, God, I know I've done wrong. I know I did this and I shouldn't have done this. And I know it's looking pretty bad for me right now. And these consequences are coming through. But listen, if you save me this time from this, I promise I'll never do it again. I promise I'll never do it again. That's a trade. Okay, you're offering a trade. It won't work. Your trades won't work with God, let me tell you. And there's two reasons for that. Firstly, there is nothing that you can offer God that he needs. Nothing you can offer God that he needs. And the second reason is this. Whatever it is that you are asking not to be done by or to be taken away, whatever it is that you've been doing that you're offering, the tra- you shouldn't have been doing in the first place. That's, so trades don't work. But Hannah didn't go to him with a trade. Hannah went with a pledge. She said this. She committed to God that what God gave her would be used for God's glory. She said, give me a son and I will give him back to you for the rest of his days, all his days, the rest of his life. You give me that son, Lord, and I will give him to you. I will commit him to you to give you glory. So that's what she did. It wasn't a trade. As I said, it was a pledge. We need to pray that kind of prayer. We need to be pledging and we need to be motivated for the right reasons. She didn't want a boy for her sake. Yes, she would obviously going to be benefiting and getting the enjoyment from that. But she would not want it for her sake. She wanted to fulfil what she considered to be her godly role. She wanted then to give him back to God. So she pledged to give him back and also that she would not put a razor to his head. What does that mean? She would not never cut his hair. It was a Nazarite uh, vow that they took. Whenever somebody actually was going to commit themselves to God for a particular project or a church thing or whatever it might be, anything that they were going to commit to the Lord for, for the length of time that it took for them to do, if it was a fast or something of that nature, during that time they would separate themselves for God by not cutting their hair. And then whenever the thing was fulfilled, they would cut their hair again. So the not cutting of hair was just a temporary thing. But what Hannah is saying is this, I will never cut his hair. What does that mean? What is she saying? She's saying, I will give him to you, period. Not for a length of time, but for the rest of his life, he will actually be yours. Now, we do not know, as I said earlier, why God closed Hannah's womb prior to this. But right now, after this prayer, after that pledge, he heard her. Verse 20. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son... And called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. So Hannah's been living with this burden for years. A burden that's come from God. But now he took that burden away. And we can only surmise as to why he did. Or why he closed her womb in the first place. But we need to take into consideration the situation of who her son was to be. 
Now, at this particular time in history, there's like a, it's a religious, um, spiritual drought in Israel. In the Old Testament, okay, we had no relationship, we had no Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Relationship with the Lord was through the prophets. A selected person was a prophet. God spoke to that prophet with a view to them then passing on God's word to the people. And there were no prophets at that time that were doing a particularly good job. It spoke here of Eli, and it spoke of Eli's sons. Now, the next chapter talks about how wicked these people are, robbing God and actually taking offering meat away from out of the pot. I mean, doing things completely against God's will. So the, the prophets that he had in place were not particularly doing a great job. So God was in a position where he needed to have a prophet of value and of worth. Very little in the way of prophetic activity was going on. So God's communication was quite... It was, it was a quiet time, so to speak. God wasn't able to speak to his people through the prophets at the time. Now, Hannah's passionate, desperate prayer to God came at a time when answering her prayer would fulfil not only her own desires, but would also provide Israel with a complete transformation, which is what God needed to do. Okay? So, in other words, she's praying for a son... He needs a prophet. She prays and says, I will give you this son. God needs a prophet. So he opens her womb. And she has a baby boy. Coincidence? I think not. Now what does that tell us? What does it tell us? It tells us that Hannah had carried this burden for that length of time for this moment. God's plan right the way through. She was carrying this burden that he took away at the right time for God's will to be fulfilled. Now what am I telling you? I'm telling you the burden that you are carrying. You are carrying it. I don't know how long you've been carrying it for. But you're carrying it until the moment, right? Until God's will falls in direct concert with your wishes. With what it is that you're praying for. When that falls in line exactly with what God needs to happen. I'm not making you any promises. I'm not God. But I'm telling you this. Hannah carried that burden for a long time. And not just a burden that she could forget about. A burden that she was living with every moment she was awake. Because when she did have that happy moment where she'd forgotten about it, she turned around and saw Phanina. Giving her the... I've got it. You haven't. So she couldn't escape it. She couldn't get away from it. And what I'm saying to you is this. is God's will... His timing, as DJ alluded to earlier, is perfect. God's timing is perfect. So after Hannah had weaned Samuel, she brought him up to Eli, and she said to God that she would. Verse 26, and she said, Oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord. Okay, so she's talking to Eli right now. That's a small L, Lord. I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord, capital L, meaning God. For this child I pray, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he should be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. Now let me tell you this. Verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. That's an incredibly powerful and poignant verse of scripture for me. And it's something which Molly and I have leaned on and pressed into. And I'm here to tell you, and I want to tell you this, and I'm going to be transparent with you here for the sole purpose of this. I'm not here just to talk to you about the power of prayer, because that's what the Bible says. 
I'm telling you now, as a man, the power of prayer, that prayer works as a person who has gone through this process. When Molly and I first got together just over eight years ago, we had discussions about children. And we have Scotty and we have Coley. And we've decided between us that we weren't going to have any more children. Getting on in years, so to speak. And we decided that was the case. Now, after a couple of years of being married together, we decided that that was not what we wanted and it's not what we believe God's, God's will to be. So we decided that we were going to have children. And on the course of that process, we went through two miscarriages. And each of those miscarriages was obviously very upsetting, very distressing. We prayed through each situation. We had a church family around us that were praying for us as well. And we went through these things prayerfully. Now, not at one point, to the best of my knowledge, did either of us ask God why. We knew that it was God's will for some reason. Now, we didn't pretend to understand it, and we didn't dismiss it, and we were heartbroken both times it happened. In fact, after the second time it had happened, our prayer changed. And our prayer then was, if it's your will that we have children, so be it. If it's your will that we don't have children, please, God, don't let us get pregnant again. That's where we were at. And we were in that prayer. We were in that desperation prayer. Same prayer as Hannah. And we had people in the church around us and rallying around us and praying for us. And one person came up to Molly during church, praise and worship one Sunday. Came up to Molly and said, God's going to answer your prayer. And one year later, almost to the day, Elijah was born. So we know what it is. And I'm not saying any of this to be dramatic. I'm here as a living testament that prayer works. Powerful prayer works. We serve a faithful God. And I to this day do not know why we had two miscarriages. I have no clue. I don't even want to think about it or surmise about it. People have their own ideas and so forth, but none of that is relevant. None of that matters. Because it was God's will. Which, as I said, trumps all things. So I want you to take hope today. If you are in a situation, I want you to understand the fact that what's going on in your life right now, outside of, is, of if it's choices you're making that you, shouldn't, you know you shouldn't be making, if you're living in a, a sinful life and you're making decisions and choices and you're living with the consequences of that, outside of that situation, if you are going through something and you are in need, then you need to turn to God. And you need to be encouraged in the fact that God is faithful. But you also need to understand that it's all in God's time. It's all in God's time. It's not ours. Because what we want, if we got everything that we wanted as soon as we wanted it, this life would be, this world would be even a bigger mess than it is right now. My life would be, I don't even think I'd be alive anymore. If I'd have gotten everything that I wanted when I wanted it, I mean, goodness me. It's a scary thought. And we're probably all in the same boat to some degree or another. So I urge you, whatever it is that you're burdened with, do what Hannah did. Bring it to God. Lay it all out for him. Speak to him about it. Now, let me close off by giving you these things, these practical tips about prayer, because that's what we're talking about here. Again, we're not talking about how wonderful Hannah was. Out of all of the stories that we've looked at, Hannah is probably the most normal person. Would you agree? Hannah's not gone out and killed a thousand of anybody. Hannah hasn't parted any seas. Hannah has just gone through her life as a wife, heartbroken because she can't have kids. 
She's a pretty normal sounding lady. And yet, the power of God works through her life after prayer. Just as powerfully as it did for Moses. And as it did for Samson. And as it did for Jacob. So let's close off and just look at five things about prayer. Five P's about prayer. Five things that you need to apply to your prayer life. Number one, pray primarily. Primarily, what does that mean? It means first. Pray first. Prayer is the way, that should be our default, with anything and everything that we find ourselves, well everything, period. But in particular, if you're in a situation that you feel that you aren't able to control, you need to turn to the Lord. If you're in a situation that you haven't got control over, let me tell you why that is. Because you're not supposed to have control over it. That's why. God wants control of it. God wants control of every aspect of your life. Not in a micromanaging kind of way, but in a way which, in which he can guide you so that the decisions and choices that are being made by you are the right things for your life and for his will to be fulfilled. We should not hesitate to go and pray to him. With any problem, any challenge, any need, every area of our lives, we should take it to him first. We should not be attempting to get through life in our own strength. Let me tell you, if you're trying to get through life in your own strength, spoiler alert, it's not going to work. You aren't going to get through life with your own strength. I know, I tried it for 40 years. Train wreck. You aren't going to get through life in your own strength. You have to hand it over to him. God does not expect you to get through life in your own strength. I'll go one step further. God does not want you to try to get through life in your own strength. God is ready there waiting for you to lean into and to press into. Number two, pray passionately. Pray with all your heart. Pray passionately to God. However that looks like for you, pray with meaning. If what you're saying to God doesn't matter to you, don't bother saying it. Now we've all had conversations with people where obviously they don't want to be talking to you. Or is that just me? You're having a conversation with somebody and they just, they're just not that place. And it's just, and all they want to do is just halfway through it, just walk away. Just, but you don't do it because you're polite. So what do you do instead? You just, and then you walk away and then you're just thinking, well, what was that all about? Why was he even bothering? Now I wonder sometimes if God is like that when we're praying to him. I wonder if he's trying to talk to us and all we're doing is going through the motions. All we're doing is running off at the mouth. We're not even giving him an opportunity to speak to us. We have to speak to him. We do it passionately. We do it with meaning. Lay out everything that is that you need, everything that it is you want, everything that it is you desire. He knows it already because he knows every thought in your heart. But to speak it out is beneficial to you as well. To lay it all out there. You're handing it over to him. You're handing, we can't carry the burden of life. Everybody here has got troubles and issues and things going on around them. Everybody has some degree of chaos in your life. And you're not supposed to carry it all and make it all work. You're supposed to hand it over to the Lord. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5.16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Effectual means sufficient to to produce a desired result. What does that mean? It means pray enough until you get the result. Now that might be for a week, a month, a year. Several years in Hannah's case. Okay? Number three, pray purposefully. Purposefully. 
Be specific about your situation. Pray specifically about your situation. There are times where you will pray a general prayer because you don't know necessarily what's going on in somebody's life. You may pray a general prayer. I pray a general prayer. I pray, nine times out of ten, I will pray on my way into work for 10, 15 minutes. I'm praying on the way into work. And there are often times where I will pray general prayers. I'll be praying over Pastor Philip and his family. I'll be praying blessings over them. I always pray over them. And I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm like, uh, I don't know how to phrase it without being offensive. But I'm not looking for favour from them. Okay, well, I'm, I'm doing it because they need prayer. We should all be in prayer for our senior pastors and their family. All of the time. They're under attack more than most people are from the enemy. They need, they need God's protection and they need God's strength more than most of us. So we should be praying for them. But we pray general prayers for those people. I pray for all of you. I pray for our church congregation. But I don't go through you name by name by name. Now, if I'm aware of a specific situation that you are going through, let me promise you this. I pray for you. Individually and specifically. I pray that prayer for that situation. And that's what we should do. We should pray specifically. Go to him and tell him exactly what it is that we need, that we are struggling with. Confess to him in detail. Confess to him what it is that you've done. Because that's part of the conviction process. If I know I've done something wrong, the easy option for me, the easiest option is not pray at all. The next easy option is just to pray and ask for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. The really hard thing to do is say, Lord, please forgive me. The way that I spoke to my wife just now, was not right in your eyes. That gives me conviction. The Holy Spirit is inside of me, convicting me in that situation. Pray specifically and pray purposefully. Number four, pray properly. Pray properly. Pray purposefully. In other words, if you have a particular desire or specific desire, then pray for that and ask for that. But pray properly. What does that mean? It means be motivated by the right things. Don't pray for everything that you want. Pray in your life for God's will to be done. In every situation. That's the whole theme of today. Is to pray with God's will in mind. Pray for his will to be done. Not yours. Unless it falls in line with it. Okay? Pray for God's will as I said to be done. We think we know what we want and what we need. We think we know what we want and what we need. God knows that he knows what we need. We think we know what we need. He knows that he knows. So ask for his will to be done and not ours. And finally, pray patiently. Pray patiently. What does that mean? It means keep praying. If your prayer is not answered, it doesn't mean it's not going to be. Praying once and then just waiting is not an active prayer life. Now I'm not saying pray for the same thing every hour of every day. You can't make it happen. There isn't a certain number that God's expecting you to pray 58 times and then I'll let you have it. It's not that. What I'm talking about is pray patiently. Hannah prayed for years. And you may need to do the same thing with whatever it is that's going on in your life right now. Whatever burden it is that you're carrying right now. God will want to take that away from you at the right time. But up until that time, you need, just to, keep it, you need to keep it on his radar, for want of a better phrase. Keep praying for it. And be patient for it. Amen? All of you stand to your feet if you will. We've been speaking about prayer today. And the power of it. The impact it can have on your life. And again, there's countless examples in the Bible. Of where prayer has truly made a difference.
would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.